0: Music Theatre of Madison presents 10 Days in a Madhouse, a podcast and workshop of a new musical by Jennifer Hedstrom and Karen Sari, commissioned and directed by Megan Randolph, that's me, and Music Theatre of Madison. 10 Days in a Madhouse is about journalist Nellie Bly's time at Blackwell's Island Insane Asylum in 1887. The groundbreaking journalist got herself committed there in order to expose the atrocities taking place. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our podcast sponsors, the Frank Young Fund for New Musicals through the National Alliance for Musical Theater. This fund provides grants for new musicals in all stages of development at theaters across the country. The National Alliance for Musical Theater is a catalyst for musical theater development, production, innovation, and collaboration. You can learn more about them at NAMT.org. We are also sponsored by Dane Arts, who work here in Dane County to amplify Dane County's meaningful cultural legacy through a variety of activities, and you can learn more about them at danearts.com. And we're also sponsored by Orange Tree Imports, a local shop for fun gifts and kitchen tools, and pretty much anything else you can imagine. They're currently open with safety measures in place, and you can learn more about them at orangetreeimports.com. As we're talking about the show, visit our website at mtmadison.com to see renderings of the costumes by Shannon Heebler and set renderings by Aaron Ball. Finally, Music Theater of Madison is a 14-year-old professional musical theater company in Madison, Wisconsin. We focus on the new and different in musical theater, and we know it's a really tough time for a lot of people, but if you're able, We'd be very grateful for a donation to help sustain MTM's programming as we look at a future that is very different from what we'd imagined, but it's no less exciting. Your contribution can be made at mtmadison.com. Every dollar counts and we're so grateful that you're listening. All right, so uh, we are here today to talk about why Nellie Bly, why is this a story that we wanted to tell. And we are joined, uh, or I am joined, by uh, Karen Sari, who wrote the book and the lyrics. Uh, Jennifer Hedstrom, who wrote the music and also lyrics. They collaborated on those. And Trinity Gardner, who is our directing and development intern and has been working on MTM shows on stage and off for many years. So hello, everyone. Hello. So uh, we wanted to talk uh, a little bit today in this episode about why we're doing this and uh, why Nellie Bly was the the story that we chose. Music Theater of Madison decided to start doing the new musicals cycle, which would be a, a development of a new musical, which would start with a reading, and then a workshop, which is the stage we're in now, um, and that can mean a lot of things, but for us it meant showing people where we were in the process. So, making it clear that we're not done, but saying here's where we are with the set renderings and the costume ideas, and here's where we are with the script, and what do people think, and to get feedback and to let people have a stake in that. A couple years ago, I guess it was over two years ago now, which kind of blows my mind, (laughs) I thought about what we wanted to do for our, we were in the middle of one of our shows, our first show, and I thought about, who what we wanted to do next and uh, wanting to have two women collaborate on a show. I thought, well, who are two women that I know are really good at what they do that would work really well together? I thought of Jennifer, who has worked with uh, Music Theatre of Madison quite a bit as a music director, and she's also a great composer uh, of her own music and does a lot of gigging and performing around town. And then I thought of Karen Sari, who I've actually known since MTM started and who has uh, worked with us as an actor and has also been uh, come in the last few years into being a really successful and quite talented playwright. So we met one day at Barrique's, which is a little wine and coffee shop, and we talked about what we wanted to do and the rest is history. (laughs) So I've been talking a lot, Karen, do you want to jump in and and talk about
1: uh, Nellie Bly a little bit and why we picked her? Sure. Uh, It's funny. Nellie Bly is one of those uh, characters that if people do know about her, they they really associate her with this trip around the world um, (laughs) that she took. When I was in college, I did some studying up on her for um, actually for an acting project and eventually for another project. And I was just blown away by the fact that how is this woman not a household name? Right. And of course, as, as Jennifer and I both started researching her together, uh, we, were just, we were just delighted by her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was really ahead of her time. One thing that stood out to us early on is in her actual book, Ten Days in a Madhouse, which is a collection of the, of the articles and the stories um, about her time there, her she sounds like she could have written it today Mm. she just sounds so modern and she was so modern in her thinking um and she was just this dynamo (laughs) uh she just went for things you know she just went for it she's only 23 years old when she's you know going doing all of this um like she was just um yeah daring very witty, very funny, um, completely charming, and definitely had this confidence and bravado uh, about her that really just she was very bold and brave. And yeah, she she should be <laughs> she should be um, a, a household name, some somebody that everybody knows. So hopefully, we can help with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> soon. Well, she is kind of getting her due lately. Um, I know with. Uh the new uh, monument to her on Blackwell's Island, which yeah. is now Roosevelt Island. But um, so what, when you guys were looking into this, I guess, what um, what did you find out about who she was? I mean, obviously, you know, all these great characteristics about her as a person, but what about her background uh, What uh, really stood out to you guys?
2: Well, I think I'll just mention that, I mean, if you hear like a, the more, um, I guess, watered-down version As a lot of people say, like, Nellie Bly was the first female journalist. She wasn't really the first female journalist. There were women working in journalism, but they were kind of pigeonholed into the society pages, doing gossip columns and fashion. And so Nellie Bly really paved the way for women in journalism to do bigger stories, to do... Um, world news and expose and i think both karen and i felt um really attracted to the idea of uh portraying someone who is so groundbreaking and as karen was saying was just so bold um bold enough to make this become a real change and actually after Nellie um started working as a reporter. There like sprung all of these different women who started doing similar type of work as her. So it really opened the door for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Did you want to add anything to that, Karen? <laughs>
1: yeah, I would actually just add that she would kind of bristle a little at the you know, at the thought of doing um like one of her first assignments as a reporter was a gardening column she did a series um she did a series when she was first hired by the pittsburgh dispatch um it that were that was kind of a um response to this series of articles um that uh had said women belong in the home um and so she she was actually given some license to to write a series of articles in response to that and the women's rights movement was kind of starting it out getting started at about this time too the first of many women's rights movements (laughs) shortly after she was she was assigned a, a series uh that was all about gardening and she put her all into it yeah because she was just happy to have a job but over time you know her her voice came through and kind of her fight for um what she felt was right and what she and and she wanted more of a challenge um, and that came in time, obviously. And I mean, and people like this who sort of defy the system are, are perfect
0: characters mm-hmm. for for theater and film and television and, and for musicals, especially, because <laughs> there's a lot of, of, uh, of uh, emotion underneath all of this that is perfect to put into yeah. a song <laughs> and all of the challenges that she faced. Let's talk a little bit about how she ended up at Blackwell's Island, because this was, that was, as you said, that she had been doing some things, but uh, there's this great scene at the beginning of the of the musical that you wrote, where she's just kind of going door to door and getting doors slammed in her face, regardless of, of, ha- of the things she's already done. So this story in particular, Jennifer, do you want to talk a little bit about how she came to be at Blackwell's sure. Island? Sure.
2: This is, I think, one of the, more incredible aspects of how she started her career because she had been working at the Pittsburgh Dispatch and decided, as many people do, I want to go to New York City and do this work in New York City. Um, But when she arrived in New York City, uh, like you said we show in the beginning of the musical, she just kept getting no's and no's. And so she actually started writing for the Pittsburgh Dispatch – like from New York City, and she uh, had this idea to write an article about what it would take, like if it's a good um, New York City is a good place to get started as a journalist as a woman, and this made this allowed her like to get into all of these big name newspaper offices and get her name out there and familiarize familiarize her name with all of these like big papers, and so she interviewed them about well, would you hire a woman? How do you feel about hiring women? And of course they were like extremely honest. And a lot of them said that they didn't have women on their staff, or if they did have women on their staff, it was very few and they didn't want to give them jobs that were too dangerous. But by doing this story and then publishing it in the Pittsburgh dispatch, she started to get a little name for herself in New York city. And then she really was determined to get hired at the world. So one day she just showed up at the offices and basically talked her way in to get a meeting. And she threw out, you know, she said, I want a job. Here's some ideas for stories. And it's a little unclear, like based on the biographies and sources we read, some people say that the Blackwell's Island story was Nellie's idea. Some people say it was Pulitzer's idea. Some say it was like the top editor of the world's idea, but essentially you know in the end this was the story that they said okay well you want a job here would you be willing to get yourself committed to Blackwell's Island Insane Asylum and Nellie was (laughs) like just she wanted that job so bad and she knew she knew that if she took a story that was this challenging there was no way that they wouldn't give her a job after that like if she could succeed at this so she said sure I'll do that (laughs) (laughs) just
1: great no problem and this wasn't the first time that she had just made this a bold move too like back in pittsburgh when she was uh she was 20 uh she used to read the pittsburgh dispatch every day and there was this article uh and called the woman's sphere and we you know This is what ultimately she would write that first series of articles in response to. And it's all about women belonging in the home and you should raise your daughters to just stay at home and keep a clean house. And she wrote a letter that was so uh, powerful that they actually put out a call because she signed it Little Orphan Girl. And they actually put out a call saying, where are you? (laughs) We would like to talk to you. (laughs) And they ultimately gave her a job and her pen name. Um, all from that letter. So she has a she had a long history of just going for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean you would have to. My goodness. So she gets the job. How did she get ready for it? You know, how do you feign insanity in this in this era? And how did she go about? And this is all laid out in the musical, I think, really beautifully. Uh, it, it did not take a long time. <laughs> it did not take much to get, uh, to, for them to put her on the, on the boat and send her, send her, uh, to the island. But, um, Karen, do you want to talk a little bit about sort of how she got ready and, and what,
1: you know, in, in this short time, how she ended up, uh, committed? Yeah. So, uh, she checked her, herself into a boarding house, uh, the temporary home for females. And these were, um, working class women, um, of, that uh, she lived with and she um it, I was thought it was interesting she she lived in her own boarding house right like she had a room at another boarding house but she's like I she had a really good relationship with her uh landlady who ultimately loaned her money <laughs> um <laughs> for, for a period of time because right before she knocked son Pulitzer's door um literally she was robbed of all her money <laughs> mm-hmm. and so anyway um she checked herself into this place, and she had been studying, um, you know, just what, reading up on what what crazy people do. There weren't wasn't a lot, whole lot of information out there uh, accessible, uh, but she she kind of gathered that. Okay, eyes are that was what she kind of glommed onto is how can I what can I do with my eyes to really make sure that i'm portraying um the the right look the kind of wild hunted look uh so she focused on that and she made her mind up that she would stay awake all night um (laughs) the night before the night that she stayed at the the boarding house uh so she she came in already acting kind of disturbed and kind of holding her eyes wide open and only clutching this bag and she had this kind of she couldn't land on an accent exactly (laughs) Um, and just acted afraid of everyone. And she, she freaked out everybody in the, in the place. Um, and other than the very kind matron of the boarding house, um, they were all, by the time she went to bed, she was already, they were already pretty unsettled by her. Um, but then come morning, you know, she kept herself awake all night. And this was one of the things that Jennifer illustrates it so beautifully, um, uh, it, in, in the song face to face with self she literally relived her whole life in her head and she said it was the most wonderful night of my life i just spent it face to face with self and it was just lovely um but come morning she had kept herself awake all night and they the matron of the house brought in an officer who brought her to the essex Essex Market uh, courthouse where uh, <laughs> she she flipped out a couple of times and the judge did take he had a lot of sympathy for her um, but ultimately she didn't have a name or a place to go um, other than the the fake name that she had come up with with Pulitzer or whoever at the world and she was shipped off to the island. <laughs> That's all it took, huh? That's all it took. <laughs> just, just gosh,
0: um, stay up for a night. I I could easily get committed <laughs> then if that's all it takes. Well, uh, great. So uh, I do want to talk. Uh, I want to go to Trinity um, over here, and I just want to tell a quick story about Trinity. So she's been on stage with us. She's been um, a backstage doing costumes. She's done directing work or directing intern work with us, and a couple of years ago when we were doing our first, we were at the workshop stage of our first original musical, Hephaestus. Uh, Trinity was the assistant director on that as well. And we uh, we did our last reading and there had been some some back and forth, uh, our last rehearsal, there had been some back and forth on how we were pronouncing the goddess Hera or Hera. And we had finally landed on one or the other. And, but like apparently half of us didn't get the memo and so um the director gave all of her notes and then she's like trinity do you have anything and trinity was like yeah it's Hera." and the ones of you who are doing it wrong just sounds stupid <laughs> i i do remember saying that in fact <laughs> yeah. well you were right and i think i think most of us got it correct for the performance <laughs> but it was time to be like you guys so anyway, but she also has, uh, she worked with us last summer when we put up Hephaestus and she has shown a real knack for developing musicals and directing. And you are, you are a high school student. Yes. So she's been, she's been, she's gotten a whole lot of, a uh, lot of background. Her parents are actors and uh, so, and her, her uh, aunt and um, an uncle are in the theater. And so she's been, uh she's got a big theater background so we're really happy to have her I wanted to give you that that introduction <laughs> um, but do you guys want to talk before we take a little a little break here do you guys want to talk about what so how did getting committed work I mean Karen you said you
1: this went to the courthouse what what happened next well uh, if so if the judge deemed you insane um, you would be sent for examination at an air usually a, a city hospital, um, often Bellevue. Um, and if the doctors there uh, determined also that you were insane and you didn't have any, you know, any place to go, um, you would just be sent to the island. And so sometimes that meant even if they couldn't communicate with you. So... That's how sometimes women who just didn't speak English, who were you know immigrants, and um, maybe they'd lost their family, and you know they would wind up at Blackwell's Island, um, or in some cases maybe you were facing an actual you know a, dealing with a mental illness, but there wasn't any care given. It was just oh, um, and the the list of crazy like truly crazy things that they would send people to um like' island for is is insane um, but yeah, they would go through some examinations, but the doctors uh you know were the they were kind of what what we have learned is these examinations were really um short uh not, certainly not very attentive um and so that's why so many people just got shipped there because the city didn't know what to do with them yeah.
0: Trinity, do you want to talk a little bit about what this island was um, before we take a break? So where was it? What was it? So Black Rose Island was off
3: of Manhattan, Mm -hmm. was it? Yep. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's Roosevelt Island today, so people do live
3: there. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't. That's for sure haunted. (laughs) (laughs) So the the idea behind Black Rose Island, which I think is a cool fact in a sort of ways, is that it was supposed to be a humane rehabilitation center all of the buildings there were set up so that criminals the insane um they could all go and they'd have a better chance at life but after um fundings were cut um just a lack of attention to the island it definitely was not humane um in any way uh so Rose island had the lunatic asylum and an almhouse for the poor, two penal institutions which is like kind of like prisons, and over half a di- half a dozen hospitals for different classes of inmates. Um, so the workhouse was a penal institution for people convicted of minor crimes. The almhouse, which is for a house for the poor and disabled, the hospitals, which would serve the sick people of New York City and the inmates of the penitentiary, workhouse and almhouse in the penitentiary which was the penal institution for people convicted of more serious crimes.
0: Mm. So, yeah, they packed a lot of, like you said, a lot of scary places onto that island. Yes. (laughs) Well, great. Well, we're going to take just a short break here, and uh, we will be back in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit more about this story and um, what happened to Nellie once she got committed. We will be right back. So, uh, ladies, um, I just wanted to uh, definitely say a big thank you to one of our sponsors, Orange Tree Imports. They have been so supportive, not just of Music Theatre of Madison, but of so many, so much of the arts in in the Madison area. I mean, they are just—they really—they go to everything. They—they—they <laughs> they, they are so supportive, and and it's so fun to see uh, to see their their smiling faces there, and they. They have this amazing local shop on Monroe Street. It's been there for over 40 years. And uh, Jennifer, you mentioned you go there a lot. Yeah, I live right (laughs) in the neighborhood. so They've got these great um, gifts and uh, seasonal delights, kitchen tools, just all kinds of fun things in there. So we just really want to thank them and encourage you to definitely support them. at this time and being a small business, you know, it's, it's kind of a scary time for small businesses, but Orange Street Imports, uh, they have great safety measures in place. They have personal shopping and curbside pickup at their back porch. And you can order a lot of items online now. So I would say uh, just see if you can pop in, see what you can find. They are a, a Madison treasure, absolutely. And we're so grateful to them uh, for sure. And I know my mom likes to go there for the kitchen stuff.
2: <laughs> I feel like that shop has the perfect stuff you need during this time. Like, they have cooking stuff. I feel like everyone's cooking more mm-hmm. right now, and they have, like, tons of wonderful candles and journals and greeting cards if you want to send out snail mail to
0: people. Yeah, or just relax. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just calm down. Yep. <laughs> so... For sure. It's a great little store on Monroe Street. Uh, check it out at orangetreeimports.com and thank you, uh, Orange Tree Imports, for your support. All right, we are back. Um, so once she got to the madhouse, um, the book is really interesting because she writes it sort of, it's very matter of fact. And so we don't get a ton of information about the women she met, as she's sort of, again, very journalistic about them, but you can feel that she becomes attached to certain people. Um, so the two in particular are Anne Neville, um, and these women show up in, our sh- in, the, in the musical version, Anne Neville and uh, Tilly Mayard. And Anne had been a chambermaid and was kind of, I mean, this is just an example, they're, they're both examples of how you just get kind of thrown in this place when people don't know what to do with you. Anne had been a chambermaid. She had raised her nephew. And when he lost his job, uh, he <laughs> he threw her in the insane asylum. Uh, so cool. And so Anne was, uh, was this also very matter-of-fact, very tired and a lot of pain. But we have uh, Karen and Jen have brought out a lot of fun in her as well. She's pretty sassy, and um, Tilly Mayard was uh, a woman who had been dropped there by her friends, uh, people she had been friends with forever. She had always lived; she had been an orphan, and she had always lived in poverty, and she had always had this just chronic illness uh that was sort of like pneumonia they just but nobody could figure out what it was and they threw her in the insane asylum and and there are more and more stories about this like Karen mentions the women that didn't speak english uh or women that maybe did need a little support for depression or something but people couldn't get through them they threw them in the insane asylum and so the characters in the book, um, and we'll talk about this on the next episode, but uh, it really, it was really interesting to sort of find, and 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 create um, the lives of these women that she met once she got there. Um, so Trinity, who did our uh, a lot of research for us uh, on what it was like at the island, um, talk a little bit uh, for us, if you will, about. What it was like in there the conditions the yeah the conditions which were pretty bad <laughs> if you want to chat about that
3: yeah bottom line it would be an, a horrible experience yeah um it was described as crowded beyond the bands of humanity <laughs> um they were understaffed and overpopulated um doctors and nurses were not trained adequately um so all the women had to share one ter- tub of water um, so it was often filled with floating waste and vermin. Oh. So if one was sick, the rest would catch that disease. Um, while in the bath, the attendants would pour buckets of ice-cold water on the patient's head. Um, Nellie Bly described it as a feeling of drowning. Mm. And then afterwards, you were supposed to use the same towel, and if a woman had sores, and you were supposed to use that same towel to rub your body dry. Um, so she ended up using her underskirt. Patients were not given clothes that would keep them safe from New York weather. It was obviously very cold, especially um, right by the river. Um, a visitor described the image that patients were slowly being starved to death as they were given little to no food, and the food that they were given uh, was not edible for the most part. No, the nurses would abuse patients, so they would goad them and work them up, and then once they got a reaction on the patients, they would punish them by the one woman was choked, um other were severely beaten and then um the patients were made to sit on benches all day they had a back um and they had no entertainment including writing or reading um and if they were given something to do it was usually cleaning the nurses slash attendants room and or doing their laundry so they were never given anything to do they had to sit there all day they were not given food that was nutritious enough they were like frozen basically and they were constantly cold um so they i mean they would make me go insane if i had to do that 24 hours a day and never knowing if i can get out
0: right it makes i mean the conditions made them worse <laughs> for sure yeah uh if this sounds anything like american horror story season two to you that was loosely based on Nellie Bly, so <laughs> I just <laughs> wanted to to affirm that for you. Uh, there was no, there were no aliens or anything like there are in that series, but <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they got they got a lot of uh, of information from this. What about people of, of color, Trinity, in this situation? Uh, there, because there were some, but what what happened if you were a person of color that was deemed insane? I mean it's so bad for everybody else was it worse for them
3: at that time um people of color um especially people of african American descent were still thought of as lesser human like not human beings so I cannot imagine um i haven't I wasn't able to find any specific examples of people of color in um um uh, uh, in the insane asylum but I did read about how um at that time, people were getting, well, men were being drafted for the Civil War. Um, so people, the men of New York were were upset that they were being drafted to fight for um, the freedom of slaves. And they would beat um, black people in the streets. And when the hospitals were, they were able to find recluse in um, a precinct. But after that, they were sent to the almhouse, which was not a place you wanted to be mm-hmm. so it, it wasn't a fun time for anybody on the island but it would be I, th- I believe it would be even worse for someone um of color
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and trinity hit it right on the head i mean she hit the nail on the head there are little to no records of um people of color on the island right. they definitely were there Um, but any, I had read something, I think there was something in Damnation Island, um, one of the books we used as, as a reference, uh, that basically said, um, where people of color, um, went was just, they, they barely kept any records. They didn't take in people's Hmm. names and the conditions were so awful that like any city inspectors that went to, to see it just couldn't make it all the way through. They were so horrified.
0: That's yeah, that adds up, unfortunately. <laughs> I think that's interesting what you said about the Civil War, too, Trinity, because it would have been over by this point, but I know that the anger, a lot of anger, carried through absolutely, and I mean, we know it wasn't, <laughs> it was a fight about keeping the Union together. It wasn't a fight for, you know, for or against Black people. So um, I know that a lot of the anger and frustration carried through into this time. It was interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about this in the next episode, but we really, we wanted to make sure we were telling as much of that story as we could um, while also remaining historically accurate, and we'll, we'll get into that in the next episode of how we kind of walked that line. So, Karen, talk a little bit about Nellie's experience while she was there, and she was only there for 10 days, uh, as the, the title indicates, but it did not take long uh, for
1: her to start. Right feeling like she was losing it. right so uh one thing she did uh is once she was at the island she decided to drop the um the the persona the Nellie Brown persona and she just behaved like herself <laughs> from that point on and she still <laughs> she still was deemed insane um even though she was she was no longer acting like an unstable person um but within a few days uh she pretty even quicker than that actually she realized that there with nothing to do um, day in and day out and under these conditions of course a person would eventually go insane even if they weren't there uh, when they when they got there themselves Um, and with Nellie Uh, you know she certainly feared that for herself Uh, she didn't know exactly when they would be coming to get her right (laughs) so she started to get to get concerned Uh, one thing that uh, Jennifer and I discovered too in reading um, a biography uh, that that we used um, she she at one point this is later down the line um, but after her most notorious story, the Around the World in Seventy Two Days, she uh, went through a long, months-long uh, bout of depression, like crippling depression. Um, and then, when you look at some of the things in 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 her childhood that she experienced, uh, that we touch on a little bit, um, you know, in in face to face with self, um, it, we can see maybe you know. Maybe she had some, you know, legitimate concerns, even just beyond what she was seeing in other people. She may have had some genuine concerns for herself as well. Sure. She had a pretty traumatic childhood.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So they came to get her. (laughs) We know she got out. Mm -hmm. What happened after that, Jennifer?
2: Once they came and got her and she got out, she published um, what is now the book, but in two installments in the New York world. So, and they were illustrated... um, And it was pretty exciting because not only did the New York world end up publishing her story, but as she was in the asylum, um, because she had originally got in on this persona of like not knowing who she was or where she was, she was sort of this mystery. And so a lot of the papers were trying to figure out who this mystery woman was. And so once they heard that the mystery woman was a reporter Nellie Bly and that she had tricked, you know, everyone and got herself committed. That story ended up being in all of the papers. (laughs) So basically she immediately rose to fame from that. And she got her, you know, the job she hoped for and got to keep doing this kind of work. Um, And on top of that, uh, her story was really successful too, because the buzz it created about Blackwell's Island actually created some change at the asylum, which was a pretty big deal. Right, Karen?
1: Yeah. Um, they actually sent inspectors out and, um, and while, while the hospital had, uh, they had had some kind of, um, notification ahead of time, but, uh, the, the, so they cleaned things up, some of the areas that she had specifically mentioned, like the kitchens and, uh, But, um, but they, like, the, the inspectors saw through it. Um, it, one particular example is, like, none of the food had any flavor, you know, it other than just awfulness. <laughs> um, but <laughs> even if there was a, a, if they were given a potato, um, uh, for example, like, there was no salt or pepper, right? So she specifically mentions that there's no salt for any food, um, And when the inspectors went out there, there was literally like a giant canister of salts (laughs) placed very auspiciously.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I also uh, remember reading that they were bathing in these like awful buckets, basically. And that when the inspector came, they had these like shiny new basins. (laughs) And they're really trying to cover their tracks, kind of. Um, But... Yeah, the inspector saw through it, and then uh, they actually invited Nellie to go before a grand jury, and it ended up that they decided to give, like, a million dollars more for the budget per year for Blackwell's Island. So not only did her story create these really fast instant <laughs> changes as they tried to, like, cover their tracks, but it actually, through the city of New York, created more funding towards towards the island
0: yeah we were talking about that earlier and i did i went to the inflation calculator just to see how much a million dollars would be (laughs) and that only went back to 1913 but in 1913 a million dollars would be like 26 million now wow (laughs) so i can't imagine like i don't know somebody can smarter than me can do the math on on the inflation (laughs) of that but it would have been a lot of money well That is, I think, where we're going to leave it for today. But our next episode, we're going to talk about our digging into the show and how we created it and what we still maybe want to experiment with um, and all of the, uh, the fun and challenges that we've had doing that so thank you to uh, karen sari playwright and co-lyricist and jennifer headstrom composer and co-lyricist and trinity gardner our directing and development intern and i'm your i guess i'm a host <laughs> of uh megan randolph and the director of the show uh 10 days in a madhouse podcast is a production of music theater of madison the music and lyrics are by Jennifer Hedstrom. Book and lyrics by Karen Sari. This was commissioned and directed by me, Megan Randolph, and Music Theater of Madison. Production and recording by the amazing Scott Glogowski and Adam Kudishat. And very special thanks to our stage manager and MTM company manager, Kristen Emery. Stage slash many Zoom meetings and other things she had to figure out that have been great and our uh, assistant directors maureen jansen and trinity gardner as well as our incredible cast and again if you're willing and able to make a contribution to music theater of madison to help us keep our commitment to professional theater and community outreach through musicals you can do so at mtmadison.com and every dollar truly counts we will see you on the next episode
1: this will need to be the story of me the star